I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Sometimes we all need a carrot that's dangling right in front of our noses to help get us out that door on a consistent basis and reach some of our goals. And so I want to dangle a little carrot in front of you here today, and I want you to put this on your calendar and join me. I am so (laughs) over-the-top excited to invite you all to join Team Plan Strong. It is our new national movement to celebrate how the benefits of a whole food, plant-strong lifestyle can keep us active and allow us to move our bodies and feel utterly fantastic. I want to invite you to train with the team and complete your choice of either a 5K, a half marathon, or even a full marathon. You take your pick of the litter. Now, our first event is going to take place here in Austin, Texas on February 19th, and You're all invited to come and finish the race in my hometown of eclectic, iconic, and the capital of Texas, Austin. But hey, I completely understand if you can't make the trip, you can still complete the goal virtually and earn a medal from this iconic first event. We'll also send you our Team Plan Strong racing shirt, and you'll get access to our training plans, coaches, and everything that's inside our private community. If you've never run before, hey, no sweat. You just get over here. Walkers, you're absolutely welcome. Beginners are more than welcome. And seasoned runners, absolutely, we would love for you to partake as we all work together towards this common goal. I can't wait to meet all of you. Come on now. Join Team Plan Strong today. I learn a lot personally. I learned that you're much stronger than you think you are. So however, however strong you think you are, you are much stronger. And every day I'm like, wow, I didn't think I would survive today, but I survived. And you get a little more courage to do the next day because when you were in the most miserable day, 
you don't think how you're gonna you don't think you're gonna make it at all and you make it that adds a little more fuel to the fire for the next day when the tough times come i'm rip esselston and welcome to the plan strong podcast the mission at plan strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement we advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands promotes and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, beautiful people. Those of you that have been around for a while, you know that I am a pretty darn optimistic person. I am uh, I'm upbeat, right? But I, I think that this guest today takes that optimism and upbeatness to a whole nother level. His name is Hella Sidibe. And for my Plant Strong Endurance athletes, I'm sure you're familiar with Hella because he was the first black man to run across the United States of America and catch this. He's been running every day since May 15th, 2017. So if we were to do the math together quickly, that means that he has run every day for over approximately five years, which is, that's over 2,000 days. It's incredible. And... He's plant strong. He is one of my plant strong brothers. He's an accomplished runner and a former professional soccer player. But what makes Hella so incredible is his, as you're going to see in this conversation, is his spirit, his energy, and the absolute joy that he just exudes out of every pore of his body. He started running to lift himself out of a dark period and hasn't stopped. In fact, One of my favorite passages of his is using our energy on what we're afraid of is wasteful when it can be used on what we want to accomplish. Enjoy the process and get after it, y'all. I couldn't agree with you more, Hella. So why don't we get after it right now with the incredible Hella. Man, I am here with one of the most beautiful people on the planet. Hella, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for your kind words. Before we go anywhere, I just have to say this. So yeah. while I was out training for Letter 100, my friend Robbie Ballinger, I was staying at his house. So I saw the cereal he had. I wanted to have something for breakfast and I had it and it was the best thing I've ever had. And I'm a big oatmeal guy and I just shut out my oatmeal. So I've been just indulging myself with the rip cereal and it's incredible i've got i ordered six bags i think i have one left already and it's only been like maybe a week a week right. and a half say, yes. say no more you will have a wonderful <laughs> care package delivered to you very very soon with more big bowl uh, than you're gonna know what to do with it's incredible sometimes i have it for dinner not kidding <laughs> like i just rather just eat this right now i don't feel like eating anything else so uh-huh. i just have to put that out there Good, I just good. had to. It's just incredible. Wow. Thank you wow. for creating such a beautiful <laughs> meal for us that makes us feel fulfilled and full at the same time. Listen, that's very kind of you. Thank yeah. you. So, Hella, I want to unpack a lot with you today. 
I'd love to, you know, talk obviously about your, how you got into running your running streak that I believe is still ongoing. Still going. Correct? Okay. Yes, we'll talk correct. about that. I want to talk about you being the first black man to run across America. You just recently did the level 100. Yes. I want to, I want to talk about that and, you know, God, the ups and downs literally and figuratively of going through that race. And, uh, and then of course, you know, how you, how you eat and how you fuel yourself for all this activity mm -hmm. besides the rips, big bowl cereal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so for starters, so your name is Hella. Tell me Correct. how do I pronounce your, your last name? Sidibe is the last name. Hella Sidibe. Okay. So where does that come from? Hella. And where do you hail from? Yes. Originally. Born and raised in West Africa, Mali. Mali is one of the poorest countries in the world. and uh, But the sense of nationalism is so amazing that you, you don't even know you're poor when you're there because we just take care of each other. Everybody's looking out for each other. So you realize that you're poor as you get older, you start seeing other things beyond Mali. But uh, being there, I got the name Hela because of uh, I was named after my grandfather um, uh, who passed away in 2006. So my dad had a dream just days before I was born. And we don't know the gender usually with the babies. No one usually go check over there yeah. and had a dream that it's going to be a son and he has to be named after his dad, which is Hela. So I actually would have been named uh, Biefere, Biefere or Chemogo. Chemogo is the nickname. Biefere is like the main name. So all the guys in my dad's village, your name is Chemogo. And they'll call you the little Chemogo, the big Chemogo, the Chemogo from that side of the house. So that's how they differentiate you. So I could have been named that. But my dad said there's no way he's going to be named that because I had a dream that he's supposed to be named after Hela, uh, my father, Hela. So he was like hard on that. So, and when I was born, I was a male. So he said, my dream was true. It was told I was told you were going to be a boy. So your name Hela. So I actually was um, one of the first, if not the first person to be named after my grandfather. So that's how I got the name. And he's the only one in that whole village. Even I'd be shocked across Mali that someone else was named Hela. Besides really? him. Yeah. It's yeah. a very unique name. You don't even hear it outside of my village because now more people are getting named Hela in the village. But you go to the capital, even the way it's unique to the Americans here, even in Mali, when I was growing up with my friends in the capital, you'll say my my actual birth name is Hela. They're like, what? That's something you never really hear. So I happen to be having with this name and I love it. As older I, as I've yeah. gotten, I appreciate it more because everybody had similar names and mine was completely different. So that's how I got the name. Wow. That really is cool. Molly, you say, you know, you grew up there very poor. Yes. So what does that, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean like no air conditioning? Does it mean mm -hmm. like, so sleeping? I mean, yeah, we have air conditioning, but it's not how it is. You, not everybody has access to that. Not everybody can afford it. And it's one of those things that it's a luxury. It's not a need of survival. So meaning poor is uh, less than most of the population. Uh, the time that I remember, I don't know right now, but it shouldn't be a huge difference. Make less than a dollar a day. Oh gosh! So that's how poor it is. And I do know the currency is different. So the the US US dollar to the franc CFA that we have there, I, I think not too long ago it was around six hundred franc CFA is a US dollar. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea what it is. And a and a dollar is to to put into perspective, you can do a little more with a dollar in Mali than you can do here in the US. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I can show the poverty line. So most people are, most of the population is beneath the poverty poverty line, and most people make less than a dollar a day. Do they 
do people in Mali, do they know who you are? Uh, most people, not most, a good amount of people, I would say. Yeah. Uh, my friends group, the word's getting spread out. So I do would say I have more media attention here in the U.S. than, than Mali. And that can easily change. Um, just contacting the right people and people sharing the story there. So I have, it's never been my priority to, oh, I want to get my name out to be big. My goal has always been to, to do what I love and use that ability and that privilege to help others who are in need. And if the name goes out that way, so it be. And if it doesn't, it's still never going to change the mission and my mindset of doing what I do. So, but um, a good amount of people know me, but not as, I don't think not as many as, uh, as the United States. Yeah. How did you come from Mali to the United States? So the story, tragedy got me to the U.S., so tra tragic event that took place back in 1998. So 95, my father was in the United States at Northern Illinois University studying to be um, a PhD in instructional technology. So in 97, two years later, my mother applied to come to her master's and join my father at Northern Illinois University. So at the time, my little brother and older sister were the ones with our parents. And I had an older brother that was in my mom's village with my grandmother. But uh, my little brother, who was four at the time, came with my mom to the United States. And my sister and I were left behind. We went to my mom's village, which is Sikasso, one of the regions in Mali. So it's about five hours away from the capital. So we were left with my mom's sister and her village of Sikasso. And um, as we are going to school within the first half of the school year, my aunt, my mom's sister, passed away. Mm -hmm. So there was no adult figure to take care of us. Uh, her husband was there, but... He was uh, not as hands-on with us, and he had to do other work to provide for the family. So he's always out of the house working, and no one was there to take care of us. And the, and my aunt had other kids, too, as well, who were younger. And that was the reason why how we came to the U.S., because the fact that no one was there to take care of us. So my parents went to talk to their university leaders and say, hey, we have two kids back home, and uh, I think I might actually end my doctoral program or end my master program and, and go back home to take care of my kids. So one of the mentors for her was like, wait a minute, you don't have to do that. How about we do something to get them here while you finish your degree? So that's how the whole process started. So we wow. got our visas as a dependent, uh, J2, dependent on the J1, which was the visa my mom was holding. And we moved to the United States, 98 to 99. The reason we moved back home, 99, was because they were done with their doctorate degree and master's. So once you're finished, your visa is done and you go back home, you got to return. So we were here for the last final year of the program. So we came, my sister and I joined my mom and my little brother and dad in 98 in DeKalb, Illinois. And after their program, I remember Y2K was a conversation toward the end, even though I was seven, six years old, yeah. turning seven, we left literally December of 1999 and we went back home to Mali. And then fast forward four years later, uh, end of 20, 2003, uh, we came to, came back to the U.S. because my mom came back. She applied to do her master this uh, her PhD this time instead of master's. And now since then, we've been here. And and so that's interesting. So your parents sound like very educated people. Are is, yeah. that, is that is that kind of rare for people from from Mali or is that like the norm for people to be educated? actually it's very norm because it was rare to people whenever I tell uh, friends my dad has three PhDs. He has one in France, Germany. I mean, France, England, and the U.S. And wow. they're like, what? And then to me, I'm like, oh, isn't that normal? You go to school, you finish college, you go to uh, uh, get your master's, and then PhD is the following. I almost thought you had to do it in that order. 
because it was so normalized, at least in my family. And in that in the villages in Mali, it's not normal because my my dad moved from the village at age 17 to go pursue better education in the capital mm. in Mali because it was more more uh, not a, a deviant act going to school in the capital versus the village. The villages, you got to grow up. You got to take care of the crops, farming and everything. So I think in Mali, it is not it is special to have that kind of statu- stature. But at the same time, everybody knew education was the way out. So people took it very serious. So. Not something that's not normal, but at the same time, it's very unique to get to that high of education, the high level of education. But everybody's trying to go to school. Yeah. Not saying everybody has PhDs, but everybody is trying to go to school in Mali. Is the uh, what's the main language there? The main language is Bamanang, Bamana. So Bamanangkan is the language of the Bamana. Bamana is a type of ethnicity, Bamana people. So Bambarakan, that's the, the language of the Bamanas. So we call it Bamanakan. So everybody in Mali speaks Bamanakan. How about English? No. English. So English, p- people, few select. It's almost as if you find someone fi- speaking Spanish here. There are people who do, right? Yeah. But the chances are you finding someone nine times out of 10 probably won't speak Spanish. So people do speak English there. You start learning English in, eight, in middle school, seventh, eighth grade. It's part of the curriculum. It's like if you want to carry on from it, then you get to high school. You want to continue, you can, but you don't have to. But most people speak English. Most people speak French. Mm-hmm. So, so you're. English. I mean, not English. I'm sorry, not spe- English. Most people speak Bamana and, and French. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So the English. So your English is basically you've acquired that since you've been over in the United. In States. the United States, yes. I learned a lot when I was young, '98 to '99. And went back and I thought I was the man in terms of English because <laughs> I was so much faster than everybody in Mali that spoke English, that claim, and I would correct them. And I remember in seventh grade, actually, there's this U.S. Uh, program that came to our school and they wanted to do a tour of the school. My English professor yeah. couldn't understand them because they're talking so fast. Huh. And he pulled me out of class one day when I was in a different subject. He pulled me. I said, hey, Hela, I can't keep up with these guys. You were in America. Maybe you can. Can you do a tour of the whole entire school? So I missed like four or three periods of classes because I took them around because I could understand and understand a little quicker and, and talk better than my professor. Did, even though he's more educated than me of the language, of writing, of grammars and 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 all these mistakes that you make in the English language. But I could have understood the Americans better and speak at their pace. So I did learn most of it then. And coming back again, I realized how bad I was because I wasn't at the level that I needed to be, <laughs> but much better now. Still not great, but. What an honor to have your teacher pluck you out of class. Yeah. I like that because I skipped class. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of class and education, what kind of education have you gotten? Uh, here uh, Ma- I got up to a uh, bachelor degrees at the University of Massachusetts. So got that's it. the highest I got. No right. PhDs for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I, me neither. Yeah. What now? Were you an athlete at all in uh, in college or after college? Yes, yes. Yeah. Athlete my whole life. Played soccer in Mali as a recreational thing every day after school, during school at recess, and came to the U.S. and I said, "You guys have grass. I can sleep on this thing. This looked like a a bed." So, because we play on gravel and dirt, so I thought this was like, oh. "Okay, we have it easy here in America." So I. Took advantage of that situation, and I had better ball skills than most people because in Mali, when you're playing, it's so gravelly. Someone will pass you the perfect ball. By the time it gets to your feet, when you're ready to receive the ball and control it, it'll hit a little pebble, boom. It can go south, north, you don't know, and you got to adjust the reaction to where the ball goes to control it, which was very difficult. 
And coming here to the U.S. with a perfect grasp, it was just like right at your feet. It's almost impossible to make mistakes. So I took advantage of that and played high school soccer, got a bunch of college offers, and I ended up at University of Massachusetts as I picked for college. Right. So did, so did you play soccer at college? Yes, played over there at UMass Amherst and played a little bit afterwards too. Awesome. Yes. And, and how, how old are you now? I'm 31, 32 this year. All right. Next month. All right. So let's, let's start talking about running. Did you always love running or was it something that somehow got <laughs> under your skin and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> I absolutely did not like running. I absolutely couldn't hear the name running. The, the term is sickened me. It made me sick to my stomach. It made me nervous. I can only think the worst thing ever when I hear running. And that became a, a situation with me mentally and a little bit physically because of soccer, most mentally, because you play the game, you love the game. There's so much going on. You're winning 50-50 ball or you're defending, you're attacking. There's so much going on that you're busy and you're running a lot, actually. But some other things are keeping you busy. Running is part of the game, but it's not the game. Yeah. And But anytime you make a mistake, anytime a teammate messes up, one band, one sound, we all mess up. We all got to get on the line. We all got to sprint. We all got to get up early, six in the morning for fitness tests. It would be literally 25 degrees in the morning and the turf is frozen at the football stadium. You're there running beep tests. You're doing everything that you don't want to do, putting you out of your comfort zone. So that created a fear in me about running. And if I hear running, I just didn't (laughs) like it. I didn't want to have days off during season because when you have a day off, the following day after the day off, the coach will say, fresh legs. We're going to run a little bit today. So anything with running, I, it wasn't a, a part of me that I, I enjoyed about the game, even though you had to run to play. Uh, that all changed, though, on May 15th, uh, 2017. Correct. Right? A, a little fun fact, actually. Yeah, yeah. Before May 15th, it changed. But what I have on the record as proof, that's why I tell everybody I started running every day May 15th. Because if you tell me, show me proof, I have proof. But I don't have proof from a few days before. Uh, so I, I didn't say, I'm going to start recording it. And just to show you guys, I just started doing it a few days before that. Around May 15th, I had my Apple Watch. I was like, let me just actually start the watch and record my run. Yeah. So May 15th is the official date. But it started before that. It did. Okay. <laughs> yes. I believe you. I yeah. believe you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so when you first started... May 15th to record it, mm-hmm. 2017. What was your goal? How long were you were you going to try and run for? 10 minutes a day, two weeks. It was actually a two weeks goal, 10 minutes a day. And that came about to self-discovery. I was in a state in life where I was pointing fingers, um, blaming people for some of the things that were happening to me in life and making excuses. And some of the excuses were very valid. But one thing I told myself, what are you going to do that you can control? What are you afraid of hell that you want to give a try? And when I said afraid, fear, running was the first thing that hit my mind. So in order for me to do that, I wanted to face it, doing it pressure-free, not having someone tell me to do it, yell at me to do it. And I said, 10 minutes is attainable. I'm going to go for two weeks and be consistent and hold myself accountable no matter the circumstances. And it has to be outdoors. So I went for the 10 minutes goal just for two weeks. That's how I started. Mm. And at the end of two weeks, what happened? Actually, within the first week, I got so excited Spring was in the air. It was May. And I felt like I was doing something for myself for once in life that I was very proud of. I ran to my fiance. I said, 
hey, Bell, I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I can <laughs> see myself doing this for the rest of my life. But you know what? I want to keep doing this every day for a year. Around the two weeks time, I knew two weeks. When I was getting to two weeks, I knew I wasn't going to stop after two weeks. I went to her and I said, you know what? I'm going to do it every day for one year. Let me see if I can go every single day for one year. I jumped from two weeks to one year because I fell so much in love with it. I knew that one year was not even going to be a problem because I knew I would get out there every day and get it done. And before before you decided to, to embark on this first two-week self-challenge, you said you... Uh, you were pointing fingers kind of, you know, at other people and you maybe yeah. weren't, weren't, weren't entirely happy. Was it because of where you were in life, your job, your, you know, yeah. your weight, was it just everything? Uh, it was more where I was in life and the job that I wanted to do, which was to be a professional soccer player. Ah. Yes. And I did sign as a professional in Seattle and back in 2013, but it was just for a year. So that was the highlight of my career, having that, that that contract and playing but i couldn't continue on playing because i was having immigrant immigration issues i was here legally in the u.s i never broke my um my residency here everything was here whenever the visa's expiring i'm out of the country making sure i renew the visa before i get back in but there are certain times though that uh my visa was preventing me to get the contracts that i needed to play for teams with international roster issues having contract to go to Germany to play in one of the biggest leagues in the world, um, Bundesliga 2, having that denied because of being an immigrant, even mm -hmm. the German embassy telling me you're from a third world country. Once you're done with this year contract, we don't know if you're going to go back home and you're not a U.S. citizen or resident, mm -hmm. and we don't want you to be an immigration problem in our country. So that was the denial letter. So all of that put me in a state. Looking back, I think there was depression there because I found myself sad, and I usually always, I've always been a person who was grateful for my life and smiling, especially knowing where I came from. Yeah. And certain, everything was, you would smile at me. I don't, I won't yell at you, but it would bother me for no reason. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just stop that and stop blaming others for some of the things that were completely out of my control and focus on what I can control, which was I'm an athlete. I have the ability to control my body and which ends up being something that control your mind or that helps your mind be at, at, at its best state. So that's how everything yeah. started falling up together in order for me to hold myself accountable. All right. Do you, do you, or does somebody in your life videotape you on your runs? Yes. Yeah. Bell. So she does everything. My fiance, she, she actually, when we, when I started this run journey, it was not for social media at all. Yeah. It Maybe she knew, maybe two other people knew my friend. I don't even think my family members knew because it was for me, it was a personal thing. So when I got in a few weeks in, she was telling me, this is really cool. I think we should do a YouTube video about this. I keep pushing it off. I would be like, yeah, yeah, let's do the YouTube video. You know, you get excited about something you're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But you kind of push it aside. So I kept doing that. And eventually on day 163, she came to me again and she said, hey, we should do a YouTube video. And I said, all right, fine. And I had already done my mile, my run at that point. So I went to get a haircut, did another uh, mile or so because I like to run realistically when I'm doing a video. I don't want to just get out there and run a few seconds and pretend that I ran. Even I have run already. If I have done the run, I still go out there to do extra so we can shoot. And we did a video that day. It was why I run every day. That was the title. So that's the video a couple of months later um, when Mini Viral caught on and everybody was asking, are you still running every day? Can you update? How are you not injured? So we started doing run updates 
um, for the YouTube audience that I had at the time. It wasn't much, but, and that's how we became YouTubers. And it was all thanks to her. And I'm glad that I, I, I finally listened because you realize that how much connection you've made in this world, just the people, the friendship, and it makes it all worth it. How you can share your journey with people and let them know that they too can do what they want to do in life, whether that's running or not. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I, I've been watching your YouTube videos and you have amassed a very impressive following. Thank you. I mean, what do you have? Like 340,000, something like that? It's um, actually two, almost uh, over 280, 280,000 subscribers on YouTube. TikTok is over 300,000. Whoa. And, um, Instagram is 170, 179. So we have, um, and in Shrava, I have a, uh, uh, 26,000 plus followers on my personal account. And I also have the Hella Good Run Club, which is 3,000 members that put 30,000 plus miles every week. Uh, so that those are the platform that I utilize and share my running journey. That is so amazing. So you, you. so you took this, tell me if I'm describing this accurately. Yeah. So you took this initial two week challenge of just <laughs> running 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And it has literally that was 2017. So mm -hmm. like five years later, yes. transform just kind of like, you now get to live your passion. It sounds like yes, every 100%. single day, every day. And you also, is this also, is this also the way that you're able to like put food on the table? And 100%. Really? Yes. So yes. That's so cool. Something yeah. that I hated that became passion and now a job. I put quote unquote <laughs> job because whether I'm getting paid for this or not, I'm going to keep doing it. I was doing it before I knew I can get paid for it. And I would do it until the day that I absolutely don't like it. But yeah, it does um, pay the bills, put food on the table. And it's just crazy. Even saying that a lot, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> just, I'm like, I smile. I'm like, what? <laughs> so a learning lesson about that is whatever you want to do in life, don't worry about money yet. Just do it because you love it. You never know what will happen. And if something happens, that's icing on a cake. But if nothing happens, as long as it's bringing internal, like, like it, it, eternal happiness to you, it doesn't matter. So at that point, everything is good because you're happy. Totally. Well, so tell me this, what would be your definition? And I'm going to, I'm going to give you five different things. Okay. Maybe four. So, um, what to you when you get back is a great run. A great run is every any day any type because every day circumstances is different as long as you're able to complete that task is a great run so whenever i finish a run it was a great run it may not be a, a, a fun one my legs could have been dying or i'm injured or it was windy or raining but when i complete the run every day is a great run and the days that it goes perfectly the way you intend it to be yeah. is also a great run so you just gotta accept for what you get so that's what makes it interesting for me so is there such a thing as a bad run? There's no such thing because when you're done, you're so happy that you did it. <laughs> that's so that's why I said every day is a great run when you complete it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, and I think I think that's so true with for in my opinion, just about any workout. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes yes. it's so hard to drag your your butt out of the out of the front door and mm -hmm. whether it's getting a swim or a bike or or a run, but afterwards you're like, Yeah, it's yes. like a, it's like a little mini rebirth, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, at what point did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to run across this country? So after year <laughs> one, I, within the year one, I, I realized this was bigger than me. It's a privilege that now everyone has. And I want to take advantage of that and do it for something just bigger than myself. 
And year two was a year of mental toughness. Like, can I do it again? I know what to expect now. Nothing is a surprise. And and you know what season is coming, how the weather was, how harsh it was, how easy, how nice it was. So year two was that for me, just to see, can you do it again two times now? And then within the year two, I quickly also realized that this is a daily routine. I'm going to do it no matter what. Why don't I do it for something that's more challenging? And it hit me one day after I showered. And I'm sitting down at the living, living room dining table. I was like, wait, I want to run across America. It just hit me like that. And to my knowledge, being ignorant, because even the run streak, I didn't know people run streak, which I'm happy I didn't because there's no compare yourself to someone's streak. This yeah. is all new to me. And I thought I would have been the first one to run across America because I, in my <laughs> mind, who in the right mind would want to run from one side of America to the other side? Robbie so, Bollinger. <laughs> exactly. And at the time, I didn't know that. So I just, I said, I said, hey, Bill, I think I want to cross, run across America. She's like, what do you mean? I said, Lily, run from New York to California or California to New York. She goes, oh, no, because she knows that at that point when I said I want to do something and put my mind to it, I don't stop till I do it. And uh, that's how I started. And she actually started researching this. And we're like, oh, people have done this, over 300 people. We're like, this is so sick. So let me see if I can research them and, and see if I can do it. And that's how we found Robbie Ballinger and he happened to be literally five minutes from my house across the park that I run in. He was st- stopping there before he finished the last day in New York City. So Bell drove me to him and I wanted to run five miles with him, but his energy just got me so b- bad. I, I call my work and I call, I say, I can't train today. So I finished the whole 18 miles with him. Wow. And I, the first thing I said to Robbie when I met him, I said, hey, my name is Hela. I'm a runner and I'm going to run across America too. That was the first few things I said to him. And he looked at me. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy just shows up out of nowhere to tell me he's going to run across America. Yeah. But yeah. And I just came up with the idea that way. But the big thing for me was though, it's not personal glory or self-fulfillment. I want to do it for something. So it had to have been for a nonprofit. Otherwise I was not going to put myself through that. So that was my most important thing. Do it for something, raise money for something using your ability to to do that. So we started researching to make that happen with Souls for Souls. So and so what was the nonprofit? What was Souls, Souls for Souls was the nonprofit. So they take unwanted shoes, new your used and turn into opportunity. And their goal is to break the cycle of poverty. And they related to me really well because I grew up in a country where having a pair of shoes is is not easy and you don't know where your next one is coming from. And if you do have one, you can outgrow it and you still have to wait till the next one come. It's not like here in America, you always can have shoes whenever you want. And it's a safety thing too, because we play barefoot, metal scraps, things, you can injure yourself, cut yourself. So, and all you need also to run is a pair of shoes. So I thought it was a perfect nonprofit for us to run and collect shoes and raise money for. Wow. Um, Running across the country. How long did it take you? 84 days, uh, started March 1st, 2021, finished uh, May 23, 23rd, 2021, uh, 36 miles a day average. But the interesting story about that was the beginning kicks my butt because I live in New Jersey, few feet above sea level, 42, 45 feet above sea level. I don't run in the mountains. And I call myself a long distance runner, running seven miles a day average, never really ran ultra distance consistently. I had one week of ultra distance, 35 miles a day for a 245 mile week. And uh, running across America, I hit the elevation. The mountains really got me. Well, I was running up and my ego said, I'm not walking any hills. I was running everything up. My knee was swelled up, shin splints. And my mileage was a lot slower than I intended to for the first half. 
So it took me 50 days the first half and 34 days the second half. Because wow. now when I got to the flat ground, that was my area. I started turning it on. So I was close to averaging almost 50 miles every day for the last half. So the last half was a lot faster and a lot more mileage, 47, 48, uh, 50 mile a day, like majority of the time. But the average evened out to 36 miles a day. And what did you what did you learn along the way? I mean, that seems like quite quite an incredible journey, not only of kind of self-discovery, but also of, I mean, I'd love to hear that, but also like how did how did the people and the town and the country embrace what you did? I learned a lot personally. I learned that you're much stronger than you think you are. So however, however strong you think you are, you are much stronger. And every day I'm like, wow, I didn't think I would survive today, but I survived. And you get a little more courage to do the next day because when you're in the most miserable day, you don't think how you're going to, you don't think you're going to make it at all. And you make it that adds a little more fuel to the fire for the next day when the tough times come. And in terms of the United States, I learned that there's so many incredible people across the country, more than we think there are, but also there's some few uh, not so nice people across America. So I, I experienced both of it. But the fact that the nicer people I with, the, the few who were nice, it, it made it still an amazing journey and it made it worth it. And I knew that my task was to raise money for Souls for Souls. So I accepted whatever that came along with that to get that done. Yeah. Now, you did this in 2020, right? 21. 21. Um, and you had already been eating a kind of plant. Yes. Predominant plant strong diet, right? Yes, correct. And so how did that journey start? Did Robbie Ballinger introduce you to it? or was No, it I didn't know Robbie uh, at that point. So 2015, my uh, Belle and I, we watched a documentary called Earthlings. And she was sobbing, crying. And I'm sitting there watching this. I'm like, this is sad. It, it got me, but I guess not sad enough, which is really sad to think about now. And that day, she decided to go vegetarian. She said, I can't eat. Uh, meat anymore. And me, I just continue my life and I was still eating meat. And I grew up in Mali where this is how we we live off of this. We And I've actually was part of holding um, a cattle's leg and while they're slaughtering it, they're praying over it and stuff like that. So it didn't get me as much as it got her. But fast forward to a year later, uh, she actually was trying even earlier on. I got to listen to her whenever she asked me to do something. But yeah. She wanted me to watch this documentary, Forks Over Knives. So a year later, we finally sat down and started watching Forks Over Knives. I kid you not, within 20 minutes in, I looked at her with my jaw dropped. I'm like, she's like, are you okay? I said, no. And I said, I don't think I can ever eat meat for the rest of my life, but I'm scared how I'm going to survive. But I, I still don't care if anything happens to me. I just can't eat meat anymore. And she goes, don't worry, we'll do it together. So she went vegan and I, I went cold turkey and she went from vegetarian immediately. We went the same night and then we went to the store and started looking for things. And this was in 2016, 2016. And I couldn't believe it. And I saw you on that documentary, which is really yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. I just saw that going to school, learning what I learned as a, trying to be a public health major. They didn't teach me some of the things that I'm seeing. And also seeing that there's some athletes in there, what really sold me. And mm -hmm. before I even saw the athletes was there was like, Nate Diaz, this ultimate uh, fighter who's uh, fighting at the highest level. 
if he can live off a plant, me an immature athlete, I can for sure live off a plant. So I went, I transitioned immediately and I had no question in my mind that this is a lifelong thing and I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. No so, animal. Yeah. Vegan. Yeah. Well, so, so you say 20 minutes in, you're like your jaw, like mm -hmm. kind of hit the ground and you're like, I couldn't believe it. But what, what, what can you remember? What mess yes. you heard? Yeah. So it was a selfish decision and it became ethical really quick. It was selfish seeing that how animal can cause cancer. I, I remember the, the, they did an example of feeding uh, a mice dairy versus not how the cancer cells shrunk and exploded just based on having, um, ha having a transition from dairy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and non-dairy and i was like what and i didn't have any health problem but i'm still consuming these things and all the pesticides all the scientific part of it and showing proof that you can that protein initially comes from plant i didn't know that i thought protein immediately comes from animal that's the only way there's no other way that's how i get my protein so knowing there's so much out behind it and then the scientific evidence that they were showing and studies and having your dad like the the doctors these are doctors that operate on people and they want to prevent these disease versus trying to fix it. And I saw there were good people because a lot of the pharmaceutical, the companies that are out there, they want to fix it versus preventing it. And so seeing all of that and the fact that they've been doctors for so many years and they believe in this. And I, if I go to a hospital, I because I trust the doctor that they can help me. I don't go in there because they didn't study what they're supposed to study. And even seeing that some of the, the doctors were arguing that they're spending too much time on learning about food, something that can prevent disease versus spending time on fixing it. It didn't make sense to me. I was, I told myself immediately, never again in my life, I'm eating animal. And as of we're at the, the grocery parking lot, I'm sitting in a car, I'm looking at stuff on Instagram. And I saw that I'm taking the baby's milk away from it, like a calf's milk. And then I said, I can't do dairy. I will never do that. There's no question for a vegetarian. So it's a it's full lot veganism, plant-based only. And but it was selfish reason because I thought about my health first. And it's sad to think that, but I'm glad because of that it made me think ethical yeah. of it and not just about me anymore. It's about the society environment and these poor animals, no matter what. Not just because I want to be healthy. Yeah. No, forks over knives really had an impact on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. lot I think people. I think that's the documentary because Earthling didn't get me, but I looked, watched Earthlings in the middle of the Transcon at nighttime during the break. We popped it onto the TV in the RV. Yeah. I was sick with myself. I said, how did I let this not affect me? And I, it was so sad yeah. to watch I'm sure, it. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the Game Changers as well. I couldn't <laughs> stop telling people, if nothing can convince you, go watch the Game Changer. And if you think that it's biased because we're trying to sell veganism, there's also evidence behind this. So do watch it. You can be skeptical, but do your own research. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to, you're going to still believe what we're telling you because research is, is going to show you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I want to, I want to come back to like an example of what you eat in a day, but before mm -hmm. I do, so do you have favorite weather for running? Like, if you had the ideal day, ideal. Mm -hmm. would it be, you know, 60 degrees and sunny or would it be pouring rain or snowing? I mean, you have a favorite? Before, I used to like the extreme heat. Uh, born and raised in Africa, a country that's very hot. Uh, it's cold to us when it drops to the 80s because it's always above 100. It's not humid. Ah. So I would always say the heat is my thing. I feel like at any given race, if it's very hot, that's what I'm going to excel because I just love it. 
And I do see that it is draining me. It's making me lose a lot of water. I sweat a lot. But as I get longer into this running journey, I see the ones that I'm more efficient in, even though I like the heat. So I, I like the low 70s, like 70, 72 at most. Yeah. Sunny, a little breeze. But um, I don't like cold at all. But if I have to deal with it, I, I deal with it. And if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow because I have fun in the snow when I'm running because it <laughs> becomes like a fun thing for me. If it's cold, I don't like that. But if it's snowing, I'll take the cold because it has to be cold in order for it to snow. And I like running in the snow. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's really cool. In, I looked at a lot of your Instagram videos and you have a kind of a montage that you've put yeah. together from, yes. from your um, kind of your run across America and just uh -huh. all, all the different, you know, yes. it raining, snowing, heat, yes. you know, yes. and um, it just made me think, God, is, is there a favorite thing that you love? I have this, I, you know, there's a quote that's out there. There's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes. So if you're dressed appropriately, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, no. And even with the rain, I say, you're going to sweat anyway. It doesn't matter if you're a little wet. Yeah. In fact, it'll keep the stink away from you a little bit. <laughs> now, do you do you prefer – I mean, this has become something to me that's really very incredibly personal to you, this, this running mm -hmm. and how you've kept this streak alive now for almost 2,000 days. Do you prefer running alone or with people? I love both. I love running with people because it's so fun. That's what makes this journey even exciting because sharing miles with people and having conversation just, and you get lost in the run. You can run forever because you're having a good time laughing, joking. You're going to hit a hill together. You're all breathing heavy to get to the top of the hill and you get there and you continue on with your conversation. So I don't mind running alone, but if I have to make a choice, pick one or the other, I'll pick people any day because right. what's something I, I, for me, it's always fun to share with people, whatever that is. Like I want people to come hang out. I want to hang out with people. I want to run with people. I want to go eat with people. So I'm a people's person, yeah. and I love talking people over by myself. But I don't mind running alone. So when you are alone, do you prefer – do you have music? Do you listen to podcasts, stories? Mm -hmm. I know in doing the race, uh, the run across America, you listened to the audible of um, Born to Run. Yes. Which really impacted you. Yes. And I think it's the re one of the reasons why you decided to do Leadville. Yes. Um, but, yeah. but what do you, if you don't have headphones in or something, do you worry about what you think about? Do you get bored or no? no. I always daydream. And sometimes even with headphones on, I don't even remember my music. Or like I get tuned, like tuned out to it. And it's almost like a comfort thing. I know there's music in my ear if I need it uh, to push. I'll crank up the volume a little bit. But uh, I used to a lot listen to audibles, even at home. Even if a five-mile run, I'll turn something on. Or I'll listen to, like, um, Napoleon Hill. I'll listen to, like, uh, Bob right. Proctor. I love the Law of Attraction stuff. I'll listen to life-changing stories. And self, um, self uh, I, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, books that makes you improve your life. The self-help kind Help, of Yeah, those kind of things. And to a point where I, I listen to music, I listen to anything really, but majority of the time has been music. But when I have music on or when I don't, I daydream every one of my runs. Today I was daydreaming how I'm going to run my next marathon. And uh -huh. I always do this at the, toward the end of the run or when I'm in the middle of the run when it's the heaviest or the hardest. I'm thinking, oh, you have two miles left to get to the, the marathon finish line. And you're under your goal by five minutes. You got to hold on to it so you get there. So I imagine these things 
And I imagine how I'm going to run across the line, how I'm going to do my airplane wings. And, <laughs> and when I get to the house, I literally finish my run as if I just finished my race. So I, I do those things, just have fun with it. Now, do you, do you finish every one of your runs, even if you're alone doing the airplane wings? Not every one of my runs, but I catch myself doing it in the park. And I see people staring at me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm just having fun with it. Some people would laugh. And I've seen people like spare their wing when they see yeah. me too. And then they will try to mimic what I'm doing and I have fun with it. Is that now, is that a, is that a personal move that you invented or did you I don't see? think I invented it because yeah. pe I'm sure other people are doing it, but I, I think I kind of made it a little more like a <laughs> do it, like spread your wing and tell me it's not going to make you smile. And that came about with my passion for aviation mm. and also playing soccer. And I actually went back to my old soccer video. When I scored a goal, I would have my hands out, but I would pump it. And that inspiration came from a player called DJ Drogba. He's an um, African player who played in Chelsea, my favorite team. So he, when he scores, he will pump his arm out. So I would do the same thing and then slide like slide on my knee like he did because he was my favorite player. He still is till this day, even though he's retired. So that's part of it. But also, I feel like I'm flying when I'm running. And I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger. And I actually went to aviation school. That was taken away also because of immigration. Ah. So that dream didn't go anywhere. So to me, I wanted to fly. I'm still flying just in a different form. So it's, it, it's, <laughs> that's, it's, that's the mindset. <laughs> What's incredible to me is I, I, I've watched your videos over the mm -hmm. years and you have also, you have a kind of a compilation that uh -huh. shows you from like day a hundred to like day, yeah. I don't know, a thousand something. And just how your body has kind of like the, your, your body transformation, also the, the kind of the, the grace in the yes. end of your movement as a yes. runner is so much more just uh, efficient and effortless. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, like I watch you running. I'm like, I want to go out and run, you know? Yes. <laughs> so that's really cool. I mean, you inspire people to like Thank get you. out and run, right? Thank and, you. Yes. and fly and have fun with it. And yeah. running could be fun. It doesn't always have to be, it's hard. It doesn't get easy. We get better with it, but it can be fun. And just if you let go, that's that's what make it fun. But if you keep holding on to tight certain things you just can't control, then that's when it becomes a little rough and not as enjoyable. Yeah. Do yeah. you have a do you have a favorite athlete, or was it the soccer player you just mentioned? He's or? my favorite soccer player. I don't specifically have a favorite athlete. I have athletes that that's super inspiring. Eli Kipchoge in the running world, Courtney mm -hmm. Walter, um, Sally McRae. Uh, a, a lot of those runners are very inspiring to me. And you're just like, how do you do this? And you you want to work hard because you know that they can do it. You also can do it. You just have to work hard. They had to put time in to get to where they're at. So I do have that. Um, have people that I look up to, uh, the late Kobe Bryant, uh, certain athletes that are out there that you're just like, these guys are doing amazing things at a high level that keeps you level-headed, that makes you believe in yourself too. So it's not one specific person. Um, then the motive, the inspiration, motivation comes from a lot of places. Even people who weren't athletes. Yeah. Even my mom, who was taking care of us by herself at one point, and certain things like that just keeps you like, you know what, this is easy. So I'm not gonna complain. I'm just gonna do my best. Speaking of your mother, uh, your mother and your 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 family must be so thrilled. Yes. To see you know your your rise to you're 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 coming into yourself 
following your passion and yes. you're able to now make this your living. It wasn't always the case. My, <laughs> my dad absolutely hated this. My mom didn't like it, but she's the mom. You know, she babies her kids, even though I'm in my 30s. She's like, Hela, I think you should look for something. She'll say it in a nice way, like, I don't like this, but she won't be like, you shouldn't do this. My dad was, my dad said, what are you doing? What is this running stuff? This is not, this is. Has he come around? Oh, oh, yes, he's a complete opposite. He would say that you're doing something stupid. Like go find something, a, a career and this yeah. running modeling stuff. And he didn't really understand. Uh, and my, my little brother would be like, Hey dad, hell is up to something. Let him live <laughs> his life. It's going to be what you don't think it is because they're like the old school. But when I was running across America, my brother uh, was with me for one of the, he was there for like a week, a week and a half. Yeah. And he FaceTimed my dad and that was the day I was actually flying. I was cruising 930 minimal pace for 35 ooh, miles ooh. and I was feeling it that day. I was like just excited and the energy was there that day. And my, I get an RV, my brother's on FaceTime with my dad and my dad was like talking about how impressed he is with this. He's like, wow, this is awesome. Keep it. I'm like, wait, I said, I picked up the phone and said, dad, are you sure this is you? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I say, you don't like me running. And he's like, well, what you're doing is incredible right there. And then I was like, okay. And now he's like completely around, yeah. but he did not like it one bit. He would try to, in fact, discourage me. And I told him, dad, you're going to hear your name a lot and a lot of the news and podcasts because I have to talk about the reality of it, even though you're around about it now, but he wasn't about it. He actually wanted me to be a doctor. That's why I did public health in college. I didn't do it because I wanted to just, you know, and uh, my mom was supportive, but she didn't want me to do this. She told me to promise her to not try to do another run across America. No. She said that's dangerous. But they understand really well. They are starting, they got around that. This is something I love doing. And my mom did said to me when she was here recently, um, she's been back home now for a couple of months. She said, um, I guess whatever makes my kids happy, that's what makes me happy. But in the beginning, it wasn't that. It was like, don't do this. Get your typical job. It's not about what makes you, because they're old school. For them, it was go to school make some income, take care of your family. And that's life. That's it. How could they not be overjoyed for, for you? Yeah. And I mean, you know, the first black man to cross yeah. America and that's just like a little slice. Yes. Right. Of, yes. of, of all the things that you're, that you're doing and what you're becoming, yes. um, breaking down barriers, yes. know, just, you know, doing all this for, for good causes. Um, yes, thank you. And then by the end, in, in watching some video of the last couple miles, you must have felt like Forrest Gump. I mean, you had oh. like hundreds of people like following you and cheering you on. And that you, was, I mean, it's crazy. That couldn't have been a, a better. That was the most perfect, as perfect as it could be that day. Uh, I had people come during the run across America, find me, drive hours, as far as 11 hours to share just a few miles with me. That itself made me want to be a better person and do more for people because I'm thinking someone drove hours just to come run five miles with me. That's just incredible. And the last day, having the whole town that I live in, Rochelle Park, show up, uh, being police escorted, people sticking with me for the whole 20 miles, driving from two hours far mm -hmm. out, four hours far out just to share that day and stuck the whole day, stuck around and picking up more people as we're going along the route because people yeah. are tracing me. And to have that finishing in New York City, NYPD escort through mm -hmm. the city and people are looking what's going on. We're all, it was a party. We're all dancing, screaming, stopping our lights, having fun. And just a perfect, having family, friends at the finish line was the perfect ending. It was perfect. Oh, that made it all worth it. You're like, everything I went through, it doesn't matter. You forget about all that stuff. Yeah. 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 
what was your low point on the your your run across America? Did you have one thing that you remember that distinctly was like, oh my god, that was hard? Or yeah, I had a, a few, but one day that really stuck out was uh, I had two a uh, fifty mile an hour headwind day. So I thought coming west to east it was supposed to prevent headwind. I was supposed to get tailwind. Yeah. Based on airplanes, you fly faster and things like that. That was my mindset. But this time, uh, I think it was in Ohio. I can't remember exactly. It must have been. And it was raining like it's never rained before. And the wind, 50 miles an hour headwind. I would go in the RV and change just to get out. I was so close that it was pointless because within seconds when I get out, I get soaked. Puddles in my shoes. It's freezing. We're talking about raining and wet and low 40s, just over 30s. And I remember that day. I don't even know how I got the mileage that I did that day. I was just out of it. And I had a friend who had come initially um, a few days before to run with me. So he was a he's a friend that was following me. And then he offered to come that day. And I was miserable that day. And he got me to the distance that I did that day. And I can't think of enough. His name is Cameron. And Cameron came back again and uplifted me. We soaked together. Uh, and we got it done. That was one of the, the lowest days in terms of just mother nature. Just being like, hey, hello, today. I'm going to make your day a little interesting for you. So well, you'll remember this day. Well, you bring, you bring up something really to me that's kind of interesting. And especially in this ultra distance running community. And that's how how you guys support each other Yes, so, so much when you do your runs. So mm-hmm. for example, the first time I met you was when you were assisting and helping Robbie Ballinger, yes. uh-huh. Robbie versus Tesla here in you know the hill country in the Austin area. And I mean, you guys slugged it out with him for like two and a half days, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, four days, actually. Four, four days. Yeah. And, and it was hot as all get it. It was hot and... My crew overnight, we did the overnight crew. We do the day and the overnight. So we'll do the day we're with him, but we're not doing the runs with him. But the overnight was uh, me, William, Bell, Lex, and, and Ravi. It was just us, just overnight, no sleep, running with Ravi and getting fed. And Bell's driving next, and William sometime would run or drive. So, yeah, we it's the support system because – you know, when someone do it for you, you know how helpful it is and you want to go do it for somebody else because it makes a whole lot of difference. Right, right. Yes. Well, all I know is I went out there on two different occasions for a couple mm-hmm. hours, both times. And one time, it must have been one in the afternoon with the heat index, it must have been well over a hundred. It was these really gnarly rolling. I remember. That, yes. I used, that I used to bike back in the 80s and 90s. And it was so treacherous because there was no shoulder in some of this. Uh-huh. And I was like, Robbie, he shouldn't go this route. It is so bloody dangerous and it's it so is. hot. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you guys were able to get him through that section, yeah. um, that I mean, that was harrowing. Absolutely yes. harrowing. Yeah. And you know what helps? Knowing that you're crewing and pacing, but you get to nap a little bit. You get to <laughs> sit down a little bit. Robbie has to keep doing this. So you're like, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. So speaking of complaining and crews and, you know, hardships, you recently just did the Leadville 100. Mm-hmm. And was that everything that you thought it would be? Everything I thought it would be and more. It's always like that. Really? So it's, it's always good to have high expectation for whatever that expectation is. Because if I had like, oh, undermine this thing, I put it to 
the hardest it can be in my mind. And yeah. even having a taste of it pacing Robbie a year ago, over a year ago, um, getting a taste of a 25-mile section from mile 62 up until the last 12 miles that was left, I prepared myself as much as I could. Uh, here with no mountains, I would find like trails, hills. I call them speed bumps over here yeah. to get my training. And I got, I got out to Colorado two weeks before to acclimate, which I was happy I did. But uh, I, 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 I raced the race smart. I did it very well. I paced myself. I listened to the elites, what they told me. At one point, I just forgot about time. And doing all of that helped you accomplish the race. Well, I... I've had Harvey Lewis on the podcast uh-huh. and we know what a remarkable, uh, ultra distance. Oh, yeah, he's he insane. <laughs> he's in- he, he is. He is. But you know, I, I also, you, you recently on your YouTube, you just put out about a 45 minute yes. video that really to me does a brilliant job capturing mm-hmm. from, you know, you like, I think it starts at 2 a.m. and it yeah. finishes when you cross the finish line. Mm-hmm. What is it, 27 hours later? Or yes. Like that. Yeah, 27 hours. But you you say, you know what? You know, I just talked to Harvey and he basically said, listen, your first 100, don't worry about time. Throw it out the, the window. Yeah. And I did. Immediately, I let go. Which is finish. smart because mm-hmm. a lot of people would be like, nah, I got yeah. it. But you, you're like, okay, he knows what he's yeah, talking about. He has to. You look at the likes of Harvey, you see their accomplishment. If they're giving you advice because it's experience yeah. and they know what they're doing. So if you don't take that in and he's a teacher, I said, I just got schooled by Harvey. So I better listen to the teacher. <laughs> yes. So if you don't listen to people who have experience in this, you're shooting yourself in the leg because they're giving you, they're not trying to harm you. They're trying to help you. So if you let go of time. And you just focus on what you can. You might even end up doing better than you set out to do versus if you're holding on to this time so much, any little thing that happens, the ups and downs, you might be like frustrated, mentally stressed. Oh, I'm going to mess up my time. Next thing you know, you're not even enjoying the pro- the journey of this. So I said, I'm done with the time. Even though I had a time in the back of my mind, I said, just leave it hella. Focus on each each segment and keep going. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that, that race, it starts at 4 a.m. 4 in the morning. Yes. What was the temperature like? Because it looked like you were dressed pretty warmly. It wasn't as cold as last year, but it was still cold. It was just below 40. It was like Ooh. 38. Yeah. And uh, start, and you feel drizzle of rain coming, and you're like, oh, no, it's going to rain. <laughs> you know, when you're cold is one thing, but when you're soaked and cold, and the pre-race talk was like, it's going to be uh, snowing, raining. It might be four feet of snow at, at Hope Pass. So everybody's like, okay, you just got to prepare for the worst-case scenario. Now I saw you running on a bunch of different surfaces there, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like fair amount of trails, yes. fire roads, mm-hmm. pavement. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite surface that you like to run on? Oh, I love the trail. It's exciting. It's fun. It keeps you on your toes. But when I got on that road, my yeah. smile was like, <laughs> I was like, this is my thing. This is what I love doing. And I just started just cruising. And I it was my advantage to make up time. And many people we're walking at that point and I said, no, this is your time hella to take over because this is what you're used to. So when I got to the A station mile 23, I was like, Rose are what I'm about. I loved, I was like, I love that. That made me so excited. It made me feel like I was home running yeah, on the pavement. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell you, you yes. were smiling and you were, yeah. Yeah. You almost started doing this, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, how often do they have aid stations? Was it every like 12 so, miles or something? So I had first A station was uh, around 12 and a half miles. And then second A station was mile 23. And then we had mile 38. And then I didn't see my crew till mile 62. 
What? Yeah, it was a huge. Why? So, was that intentional? So it's called Twin Lakes. That's like the main area. So you don't see anyone. You're going on this journey at the hardest part of the race. You got to climb up Hope Pass, which the elevation is insanely steep for five miles to get to the top. That's 12,500 plus feet. And you got to descend into Winfield, which is so steep that you can't even take advantage of the downhill. And the downhill was my biggest strength in flat areas. And then you got to come back from the 50-mile mark up from Winfield to Hope Pass again. You're submitting Hope Pass two times to go back down to Winfield. So you're gone. I was gone for – my goal is to be gone for six and a half hours. I was gone for eight and a half hours. I didn't Ooh. see my crew. And you're by yourself. Can we talk for a second about nutrition during mm-hmm. this? So yes. did, you have a, did you have a goal, like how many calories you wanted to consume every hour? And yes. How, how are you doing that? Every hour, 250-plus calories. Just you don't want any cumulative uh, uh, calorie deficit. You want to make sure you're on top of everything. Even when you're not hungry, you better eat because it's a long race and you don't want to. And I learned a lot from the transcon. I think that really also helped me get through this this race. So I was having uh, energy gels that was 250 calories every hour. And after mile 62, it was every 45 minutes because now you're that much depleted. So you got to be even on top of it a little earlier on. So I was having that and I was having uh, a thing called tri, uh, super fuel. So it was like a 400 caloric drink. It was water. So it was liquidy. It's actually like not thick at all. Yeah. You, you, my crew would have that in the water. So every time I'll just switch it with my hydration drink and I'll have one electrolyte, one um, super fuel that was caloric drink. So every time I'm actually hydrating, I'm getting calories in. So it was a lot of liquid calories. And at the aid station, I'll have like a muffin, a vegan muffin or a vegan croissant. And I was mashed potatoes, never tasted so good. And it was just like mashed potato, no gravy, nothing. I love that. Every time I get them, I'm like, can I have mashed potatoes? I know. I just have my mashed potatoes or uh, I had a vegan uh, ramen noodle in the soup. So that I was making sure I was on top of my my fuel. I drank all the water. Every time I came to the aid station, everything was empty. I made sure that it was empty. So I was on top of that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The 250 calories an hour. Would you say, would you have two of the gel packs an hour and then also you're drinking your calories no it would only have one gel is two fifth to around 200 250 but okay. that's giving you that calorie but also the the try uh, the super fuel and the electrolyte were very high in calorie as well so okay. the the super uh, the super fuel was 400 calories and i would finish that as well so it was like getting like six seven hundred calories every every time i'm gone before i see my crew yeah so it was not just the gel so it was yeah. all together that I was having. So did you ever feel at any point, because that's a, I mean, I can't even imagine a mm-hmm. hundred miles with all that elevation and at that elevation, mm-hmm. did you ever bonk or hit the wall? I never hit a wall and I'm very grateful. Like, yeah, I never had a breathing problem. I never felt like I was having altitude sickness and I just, I, I peed a lot. I was peeing so much. Yeah. And in fact, I was like, I feel bad for the ladies because the amount of time I had to pee, it would be tough as a woman. I would just, here's a bush, just turn around. And I remember at mile 12 and there was a bathroom that came and I just saw a line with a bunch of ladies um, waiting in line. And I went to my crew. I was like, I feel bad for the woman. This is not fair. They had to wait to get to this bathroom. And you see the line, that's wasting time. And I said, me, for me as a man, I just like, I didn't have to do that. I would pee whenever I felt like it. And then I continue. I don't have to go wait in line. And those are times that could be valuable for you later in the race. But um, I was doing that. But at one point, I didn't pee for like, my crew was scared. Even though I was consuming all the electrolyte and the liquid I had, I didn't pee for like 
six seven hours wow plus. yeah i wasn't peeing they were scared they're they were like are you do you feel weird i was like no i feel completely fine i keep drinking all my liquid i don't know what's happening maybe that was the altitude's job but later on then i started peeing again but i was um i was okay non-sickness non-bunking and i just my biggest weakness for leadville was um i was a weak hiker mm. i didn't have the training for vertical climb and I owned up to that and I wasn't going to make it an excuse to not go faster. I just knew I just needed it more time to train that to get stronger. And I'm glad I got there enough time to even get the level that I had underneath me. But my strength was downhill when it was tougher for most people because their quads were shot. I would just send it hard. I would just start sprinting down and I would um, take advantage of the flats. I told my pacer, uh, Mallory and Jason, they're amazing. They're from Austin, but they live in Colorado. I told them, please be patient with me on the uphill. I promise you we'll make it up on the downhill. <laughs> and I said, you see all these people passing me? Just remember them because we'll see them again. Not as to compete with them, just to let them know that we'll be able to make up the time so I can get there to the A station at a certain time that we would we'd just want to get there, even just in case to make sure you got to finish in 30 hours, even though <laughs> the time goal is out of the mind, but 30 hours still there, right? So I would take advantage of those scenarios. Yeah. No, I remember in the video her saying, oh my gosh, I could barely keep up with them on the downhill. <laughs> so at one point at one of the aid stations, I saw you, somebody handed you deodorant and you put on some deodorant. Mm -hmm. Why, why put on deodorant at, in a race? Are you afraid that people behind you are in front okay. of you? Are you gonna, well, I don't get that. Okay. I've, I've I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I always have this, this, uh, it's a personal thing. I always want to make sure I smell my best. I am at my best. And I I don't want to put anyone at a discomfort to smell my odor. And I know it, it shouldn't matter. It's a race. But also just being mindful. I don't want someone to be like, oh, what's that? I can't. Who's this smell? Just being mindful of others. But it's a personal thing. I want to make sure I smell good for myself. I don't want to smell my own BO and be like, oh, I can't stand it. I won't stop thinking about it. So I'm a kind of a person that I would shower at home and I still spray cologne after I shower. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll still put on my deodorant. I'll first thing I do when I get out of the shower, I lotion up. I don't like feeling dry. I like to self-care for myself. So even though I was like, oh, I probably smell, I don't know if you heard it in the wrist. I was like, I probably smell. I'm sorry, guys. No, I'm like, I, no, I don't worry it. about that. Yeah, I so heard. putting I made sure my deodorant was with my crew because I know there's no time to shower, but I do know I could help in case I was smelling, which is probably the case. You're running, you're sweating, you're drying, you're sweating. So I made sure that when I had the chance to put on my deodorant for myself, but also it'd, it'd be a nice little thing for others going by me so they don't feel like they have to throw up or anything. Well, you're, you're <laughs> quite, quite a gentleman. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Now, you had Robbie there as part yes. of your crew. Is that because now did Robbie want to do the race this year? I mean, would you want to do it again like next year or did he just need a, a year off? Uh, Robbie didn't plan on doing it this year. He wanted a year off and I know he will go back because he told me he'll, he'll go back and, and do, and, and I think he can do better. And he also believes that because he came from a whole collateral crush. He didn't have as much rest as he needed yeah. to, to tackle this. But for me, uh, I had to do it because I always tell people I don't go look for things. They find me. And the saying at Leadville, Leadville finds you, it really does. It found me. I didn't go looking for it. It found me because I was listening to Born and Run. And I was like, wait, why is this thing coming out of my head right now while I'm doing an endurance run? So the goal is to go back next year, but not to do it. It's going to be their 40th anniversary. I would like to be part of it. I would like to pay somebody because I want to pay back. I, I got help. I always want to help others. 
but I do know for sure I'll go back, but it won't be next year. I'll go back to do the full thing again because it's ultra distance is learning. You learn and you grow. Uh -huh. So you always could have something that help you in the next race. Even running across America definitely helped me for Leadville. And being able to finish Leadville, not being sore, not having any injuries, that was the win for me. And I couldn't believe it. I was able to walk fine normally the day after the, the day of the race, after I was done. I didn't have any difficulties. So knowing that was really great. So now I know I can push a little bit now. Because my issue was I didn't know if I was going too slow. I, I um, Too slow, but I knew I wasn't going too fast. But from the experience finishing, and I didn't feel as beat up. And thank God no injuries. So I can continue my streak the next day. Now I know I can push it a little bit. I can feel a little more beat up and still be able to finish the race safely. So that experience, I want to go and try that out, but just not next year. And so you were able to continue your streak. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. And I, I, I met uh, some uh, uh, followers too. And then some of them were asking me, are you worried about your streak tomorrow? I said, not really, because my mindset is going on that do this race and do what you can tomorrow. Even if it's a 20 minute mile pace, you're going to be shuffling your feet. But I did tell some of them, I said, if I feel at any point in the race that, this race is going to ruin my streak and I can't run tomorrow. I'm going to DNF. And I'm going to say, hey, guys, I'm off of this course. The streak is my baby. I love running every day. It's a personal thing. I'm going to get off of this race course and then so I can run tomorrow. But it was a joke. But also, if it came down to it, it might have to be the streak instead of Leadville. The streak, <laughs> the streak comes first. Yeah. Now, what in your mind equals or legitimizes something that you consider to be a, a run. Like if you were to go out for five minutes, would that keep your running streak alive or does it have to be like two miles? Or I love that question. For me personally, it can be five minutes. For me personally, it, 10 minutes can't cut it out anymore. And even though I was able to get at least a mile uh, within 10 minutes, but it has to be at, at least two miles. And before, it used to be at least seven miles. I used to be crazy about that. And wow. crazy in a sense where if I only got five in, I'm coming out later at night or something to do an extra two. The average is still well over seven miles a day within five and a half years almost. But I do believe any run is a run. And there's a, a, a mile, a streak, a mile, a streak association yeah. website or something. Someone actually messaged on my Instagram a while ago, maybe a year ago was talking about if it's not a mile, it doesn't count as a streak. And I completely respectively disagree with him because I said that's not fair because what happened if somebody is actually only physically capable of, of running two minutes mm -hmm. and they have to stop and they can't anymore. So you're not going to discredit their run because they didn't complete a mile. And I said, if that's what they can do, to me, that counts as a streak. If it's five minutes, that counts as a streak. Someone can only run maybe 30 seconds at a time and they have to walk a minute and then they go back 30 seconds. If that's all they can do, that counts as a streak because just because they can't do a certain things, who says that it has to be? It has to be your own personal thing. So whatever you think is a run where you can do it and what you're capable of, I think that's what's important. It's not about getting at least a mile in. For me, it's two miles because I've had oral surgery and, and I doctor said, I know you're not, you say you're not in pain, but you don't want to cause bleeding to keep happening. Yeah. So I would shut it down even though I felt comfortable or when I, I'm injured. So my goal is, to get the streak going without having to compromise cutting the streak completely. Because if I push it now, I can take away the run. I don't want to get fractured bones or anything like that. So I'd be injured, posture shame. I'll go out there and maintain a two-mile run and get off of it as quick as possible. So uh, for all the people that are listening, for me personally, it's different. But if you're only capable of running even two minutes at a time, 
it counts as a streak to me. And if people don't think it counts or the mild association, the streak association, forget about them. We'll do our own association. It's called whatever you're capable of doing is the streak. Yeah. And everybody's different. Everybody has different body. Everybody has different capabilities and not all can maintain a certain amount. So we can't just assume that for everybody and discredit their effort. At the end of the day, effort is effort. If I'm running five miles, someone could be running a mile, but they're still putting the same amount of effort because of the capability that they can accomplish for themselves. Yeah. Thank you. Are you still doing yoga? Are you still a fan of the uh, the Bikram, the hot yoga? I, I was doing it religiously since the pandemic happened. The place has closed and I haven't been on it. Yeah. And I need to because it, it, I, that's when my body started like even melting together as a whole. And I noticed even my running form was becoming smoother, mm. naturally going into lit. And it makes me think about born and run. We are born and run. And I didn't have to do anything drastic to change my my form, but I would pay attention to my body. I'll look at all the videos and naturally your body just come to the way it should be. So yoga was also helping that. And I haven't been able to, and I do miss yoga. I do. Yeah. Tell me, run through for me on your ideal day. Yeah. What would you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? The big, the rip big bowl <laughs> cereal, a thousand percent. And I used to be obsessed with or, um, oatmeal. Oatmeal, yeah. Yeah. oatmeal was my thing. I used to get sad if I didn't have oatmeal. But I was, I would even be like, sometimes like, I'm sorry, oatmeal, because I feel like I'm cheating on you. <laughs> but that, that's it. Sometimes I have two in a row, and then I will finish a bag actually in two eating. I'll have like half of it, and it's a big bag. Yeah, I pour a whole half, and then I'll have it, and then I'll be like, I think I want more, and I'll have another one. So that would be my my breakfast. But tell me this, and how do you, uh, what do you do to it? Milk? Do you put different fruits and, so and seeds, I, nuts on I'm, it? No. I'm a basic guy. Yeah. So all I do, it has all everything you want. It has the sweetness, the the raisins, the, the seeds, dates. the yeah. yeah, the dates. That's in there already. So I would just add oat milk, and then I I stop using agave. So I'd add um, maple syrup. And not a lot, just a little bit, because it's already, you get to these dates and it's sweet. It's a perfect balance. Nothing else added. It already has everything that needs to be added. So I don't have to add that. And even when I used to have oatmeal, I would just add banana and that's it. So nothing crazy. So it would be that. That would be, a, and it's a breakfast. You feel full, but you don't feel sluggish too. I don't feel like, oh, I just ate so much. I just felt like I had enough in me. And you see all these nuts and all these healthy fats that I need. I'm running, burning calories. Yep. It, it is very nutritious and yeah. What about lunch? Lunch, anything rice. I love rice, rice bowls. I love fried rice. I love rice and vegetables. I grew up in Mali. Every meal, every day is rice and peanut butter stew, rice and tomato stew, rice and spinach stew. It's mm. rice with the meal every day. So anything with rice would be my lunch. And then dinner. And and, and, and I noticed in watching a lot of your videos yes. that you use white rice. Do you have a preference? White rice versus brown white, rice? Or? White rice. I'm a white rice person. Okay, okay. And white okay. rice, I feel like brown rice, it, it doesn't enhance the food flavor that's on top of the rice. Uh -huh. So with white rice, it doesn't take it away. So white rice. And uh, I like for dinner, uh, Belle cooks some delicious food. She has this ravioli uh, that she mixed with like, she mixed the, the sauce with like, garlic and like cashew like creamy and and things and or pasta i like anything baked carbs that just and i love my fair share of the vegan burgers cheesy oily nasty sometimes just like that uh -huh. once in a while i have those but those are my ideal foods
Nice. Is there a certain amount of time that you would ideally like to sleep every night? Are you a big sleeper? I'm a big sleeper, but a late night person. I find myself going to bed a lot one in the morning. Even Ooh. though, I go, yeah, I know. Even though I, and it's it's crazy because even though I find myself going to bed at one in the morning, I'm up like seven thirty a.m. eight. Whoa. Yeah, but I feel I feel fine. I feel rested. I said maybe this is gonna catch up to me because I know sleep is the biggest thing for our recovery. Uh, I do like not that I even want to stay up late. I can't sleep at night. And with all these physical activity that I do, I'm always on my time. I'm always up and going. I find myself up at night a lot. I do. And uh, but <laughs> also when my body tells me to nap, it doesn't happen often. But if it does, I go nap immediately. Like, yeah, I nap. So maybe that's making up for the late night sleep. Yeah, I yeah. Ooh, yeah, on the weekends, I I can nap like nobody's business for a yeah. good and a half, two hours. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, me too. Uh, um, what a what what are your feet like? Are your feet in good shape? Do you get blisters easily or or no? Are you ready for this? Yeah. Since I started this run streak, the only major blister, the only blister I got was the run across America. And I showed it to my audience. I was like, do you guys want to see this? I did a pull before I blind anybody. Uh-huh. I was both toes. It was just liquid wrapped around the toes. Um, that was it. I've never lost a toenail. I've what? never, yeah. I've never had any blisters besides the transcon. And I did show my feet to people. And people are commenting, wait till Leadville. After Leadville, I took out my shoes as soon as we got home, did a video. And now you're making me think to post that on my Instagram story. But I said, this is what my feet look like after a 100-mile race. Zero blisters, didn't lose a toenail. Toenail didn't lose any color. So I've been very lucky. What do you, attribute, what do you attribute your healthy feet to? People, I've, I, a friend of mine messaged me, and he's like, it has to do how you your body's aligned, how you when you're running or when you're doing anything physical activity, having your body in a certain alignment actually cater to your toy health. Your that's what he was saying. So everything is so mm-hmm. working the way it should that you don't compromise on any. I don't know. He was like, I have no idea. I have no. I just I always say I'm lucky. Well, but to <laughs> me, it's probably also a. Con- I, I'm pretty good with blisters too, but. Um, do you like wearing thin socks when you run? Thin. I don't like thin. thick socks. Yeah. 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 What, do you have a certain particular brand of socks you like to run in? Uh, not particular. I have these uh, anti blister. They were called. I don't even think they were that because I wore that across America. I got blisters yeah, okay. for like the, the two blisters I've ever had in my in my life, actually. That I, That's like that. And uh, But I wear such a thin socks that my toenail will cut through the, the front and po- yes. poke a hole through it. That's how thin my socks are. But I get hard calluses around the toe area sometimes, and that's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a callus from a blister that hardens; it's just like just there. Yeah. What shoe are you a fan of? It looks like you're wearing a Hoka shirt. Yeah, I know this is not supposed to be. It's not like for an advertisement, but yeah. I I wear Hoka. Um, I'm sponsored by them. Even prior to being sponsored, I wore them a lot running across America. I wore them for my first ultra week, 245 mile week, 35 miles a day. I was in the Clifton Six, so I just saw that certain distance they were just better at so i just revert to them and uh now to say that i'm sponsored by them it doesn't make sense again to me all i could be is just accept it and and uh, be grateful about it yeah so hokas are my go-to shoes and i know there's not one shoe that fits all there isn't and i i will when people ask me what do you think is the best shoes my answer is always this is what works for me because it might not work for you but the cool thing about hoka is the fact that they have so many varieties, even though there's other running shoes that they do, but it's so limited. 
especially to the performance side only where there's more of that than just your average daily runners that just like to do this as a hobby, that there's a chance you might find the shoes that you like within the line for from them. So I like that. I have a rotation between uh, how many shoes, like the Mach 5, the Rocket X, the Carbon X3, and randomly, randomly, I'll put on like a Clifton just if I want to drag my feet a little bit and I need something soft and shock observant. So I'm always having options. So I, that's what I love about those shoes. Wow. You know, your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you ever think as a kid growing up in Mali that you would be able to look in your shoe drawer and see like 20 pairs of shoes? Nope. Because I, yours. at one point before even coming to the U.S., maybe my whole life, I had three pairs of shoes. And then now to see yeah. it's way more than even 20, <laughs> I don't take it for granted. That's for sure. Wow. Yes. Incredible. Yes. Um, what, What's next for you? You got any uh, anything that you're you're gunning or shooting for? Also a very good question. So there's not always I have goals and challenges that I want to put myself through, but also has to not be about me only. It has to be for a purpose. So you don't you won't find me to going to look for things to do because a lot of endurance people yeah. they want to go do big uh, challenges, big things, and that's what they love. And which nothing wrong with that. I'm the complete opposite of that. My first priority is just to enjoy what I love and don't put myself under pressure. What's next? So after I ran across America, I got questioned immediately, hello, what's next? And I said, I'm not the kind of person who's going to chase what's next because at that point, I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm always going to try to beat what I did. And it's going to be a chasing my own tail. And I don't think there's any joy in that. So I do want to run a marathon and I've never trained properly for a marathon. I've run a marathon because I was slid in like literally a few weeks before and I still ran every day. I had no tapering and ran my seven mile daily. But this time I want to actually prepare for one, maybe spring 2023. And I still will run my run streak. It's just that a taper day or a day off would be just slow, easy two miles. That would be my day off for taper day um, to keep the streak going. So I do want to run a marathon. And I also do want to run UTMB Ultra du Mont Blanc in Chamonix, which is 106 miles and that is twice the elevation gain as Leadville. It's about 32,000 plus feet and 106. So those two are in my books, but not like I need to rush and get them done. So we'll see what next is. Next will find me. <laughs> well, wow. Now, uh, I would imagine that there's enough ultra distance runners out there and you guys are supporting each other when you kind of do these endeavors. Yeah. Do you... Like, do you have to have something on the schedule? Like, are you going to help this guy do this, you know, hundred mile run and this guy do this? I mean, is that on your calendar or does that just not up like that? Not on my calendar, but that's what I want to do. I want to be able to help. And I think my goal is my long-term goal forever is um, to be a guide for anybody that wants to experience a run. I want to push a wheelchair for somebody who can't. So mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm running for those who can't walk, let alone run every day because it's a privilege. And I think people will do anything to walk on and I can't even run. So my ultimate goal actually in this running thing is being a guide, uh, not just all these personal accomplishments, but push somebody through a marathon um, wheelchair base or someone guide them, someone that's blind, hold their hand through a marathon. And so when you said that, that's something that I want to have on the schedule to always do. Yeah. But in terms of the ultra runners that needs help being pacer, they can reach out to me. If I'm available, I'm game. I'm ready to go. Uh -huh. Yes. That's, 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 that's beautiful. Yeah. Just like you are. And you, oh, you're too kind. And, and you start every one of your, your videos, Instagram on YouTube, wherever 
what do you say? You say what's up, my what's up, my beautiful people? Always. Uh, so what? Yes. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? So that <laughs> I got that from because I just thought we're all beautiful, not physically. We are busy, not only beautiful physically, but we're all beautiful deep inside. And even if someone who's not so nice, we're naturally that doesn't happen. That happens through learning and seeing. Mm. But if you put two kids next to each other, it's nothing but joy and beauty, happiness. They don't see anything. They don't see race. They don't see gender. They're just having fun. So us as human, there's beauty inside us. So I just believe that. So from day one, even before social media, I always just look at people. We're beautiful humans. That's what we are. And when I greet my audience or anybody, it's, hey, my beautiful people. What's up, my beautiful people? Because we're all beautiful. And I think everybody should should take that in and believe that uh, inside and out, we're beautiful. And just know that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks or anyone has their own description of what beauty is. As long as you believe in it. And I believe we're all beautiful. So I will call, I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt that you have a good heart. You want to be best. You want to help people. So it's just automatic, my beautiful people. That's it. Mm, yes. Mm, yeah. Bam. Yes. Um. Yeah, that is beautiful. And, you know, I I love the way you are now leading this beautiful life. Thank you. That you've carved out for yourself. Thank and you. now you're able to give and shine this beauty out to everyone. Thank you. And you're like this lighthouse of, beauty and joy and happiness. And in fact, in watching, in watching the video that, um, you, you guys, your team shot for you of Leadville by the end, they're like, you know what? Hella should be the mayor of Leadville. (laughs) Everybody knows (laughs) and everybody like, you know, wants them in their lives. You know, it's a beautiful thing. It was a humbling experience. I remember actually I'm going down hope pass. So I still got a long way to go. I'm talking about th- about three, two and a half miles to three miles. That's a long way for a whole path for how steep it is. It really slows you down. So these elite runners are coming up already. They're like running. They're like power hiking. Like it, it's, it's a run for most of us. Yeah. That Even though to them it's hiking. And I saw a few of them back to back. Hey, hell, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. I was like, wait a minute. This does not make any sense at all. They're the elite. I should be inspired by them, not the other way around. So it was very humbling to see that. And I got to be, I said, we've created an amazing community because everybody's so nice. Everybody's just so nice. And I was so happy I didn't have music on. And the ultra community, whether they knew me or not, everybody that you're going by, good job. Keep it up. You're looking great. Yeah. And you say that to everybody else because everybody's cheering you on. And I think that's what makes ultra running special. And the marathon the other way is very special. It's a good running community, but not like the ultra because marathon, people are so focused on times and PRs. There's no stopping to say hi to you or give you a gel when you need it or help you because you fell down. And two people took a huge fall. We had to turn around and help them Mm. because everybody's like, ah, I hope the the team helps you or whatever because I got a PR to catch. Ultra is different. Ultra is just, it's a a big family that that you never knew that you had. Yeah. So it was amazing. Have you gotten uh, the privilege and opportunity to get to know Scott Jurek at all? Uh, Okay. So I haven't met Scott in person, but I know of Scott Jurek. I've seen, I have his book actually here (laughs) and I know his appellation. I know all the amazing Western state, everything he's done. And I uh, followed him and uh, one day I actually tagged him on uh, one of his burgers that Robbie made. So 
he communicated back with me and we communicate on Instagram. And I was at the Apple event and, um, and, uh, at the Apple park in California and Sky Jurek came up on the new Apple ultra. This is the, the yeah. endurance one. I was like, Sky, I'm screaming. And I tagged him and he's like, Oh hell, I didn't know you were there. So we could finally meet in person, but he was in and out that same day. I was there for an extra day. But we're planning to see each other, so it hasn't happened yet. But we talked about it. Good, 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 good. Yes, yeah, yeah. Scott, yes. Scott's a, another beautiful human being. A- incredible, yeah. From all he's the stuff I've seen from behind, yeah, the other side yet. Uh, hell, I want to thank you for spending time with with me today and um, sharing sharing your story and sharing your passion and your love and your beauty for. Thank you. Just, you know, being being alive and what kind yes. of gifts can we share with, you know, with with other people? Yeah. Um, this has Thank been a real, a real joy, truly. I appreciate it. I also want to say you've changed so many people's lives and whether you they tell you or not. And um, seeing you from what you've done with the fire engine, even forks over knives and all of that, like it took that um, TV show for me to be where I'm at today. And I feel like what you put in your body also, um, that's how you, you live by it the toxin you put in your body, that's what your mind feeds off of. So uh, thank you for all you do. And thank you for those delicious uh, (laughs) and just catering to the world in your own way and sharing stories, but also letting people live their best life by eating the right way. I think that's very important. And then the saying is, in my son cliche, you are what you eat. Mm. It really is. You are what you eat. So thank you for making us what we eat because it's healthy and it's good for us. And so we can do and pursue all these physical stuff that we can uh, recover quickly from. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Hella. Uh, All right. I can't wait till when we next get to meet in person. And and until then, be well. Thank you. You beautiful man. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Rev. You too. Give me me a fist bump, all right? Plan strong. Yes, let's go. Hella is a, a treasure trove of inspiration and I want you to know that we're working really hard to get him to Austin in February for our first official Team Plan Strong race at the Austin 5K Half Marathon and Full Marathon. No matter where you are on your Plan Strong or fitness journey, if you need a daily pick-me-up, then make sure that you follow Hella on Instagram at Hella, H-E-L-L-A-H, good, G-O-O-D-9. And of course, I'll be sure to put uh, all that into the show notes for today. Thanks so much for listening and believing in yourself. Let's be sure to lace up those shoes, head out for a walk or a run, and always keep it plan strong. The Plan Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.